is Acts 2, 36 to 41. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. As I mentioned before, uh, last week we finished off a series in Philippians. Uh, Next week we start off a a series talking about tough questions of Christianity. So this week was a bit of an in-between week. And because we want to have some baptisms before Easter and after Easter, uh, there's a number of people been asking questions about that. We thought, okay, let's explain baptism a little bit more. We don't actually spend a whole morning talking about baptism. So that's where we're coming from this morning. So I might just pray now that God will help answer any questions we might have uh, and to encourage us to think about baptism more as a church family together. Dear Father God, just thank you for the opportunity we have to wrestle with these things as a church, something you commanded us to do as a church, but yet sometimes uh, we don't really understand it or appreciate it. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, show us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From the history of the beginning of the church, baptism has been a thing that we do. Uh, Pretty much 2,000 years since Jesus came and commenced his work in the church, uh, baptism has been a a sign, something practice, something we do. Think about that. Almost every believer in the last 2,000 years has been baptised. It's an amazing practice that we do in the church. But on the flip side, it's a little bit odd, isn't it? It's a little bit strange, the whole dunking and splashing of water that's a little bit foreign to us. I'm not sure what image you come up with, but uh, I know when we talk about dunking, when I was growing up, I had lots of cousins when I was growing up, and in summertime we'd go for swimming. It was great fun to dunk each other. That was the game, right? Who could hold each other under the water? But if any of the parents saw us, man, we were, we were in trouble. <laughs> I was going to say we were whipped. We weren't literally whipped. We were like scalded. We were roasted. Yeah. Parents don't like their kids being dunked in the water. But do it in church. You know, Ben and I can come up here and dunk somebody in water and it gets applauded. Somewhere you get in trouble and another place, it's, it's great. I want to know how many people have tipped a jug of water over somebody else in public and got away with it. Because I'd imagine if you tipped a jug of water over somebody else in in public, you would probably start a fight. But yet, Ben and I come up here, we can tip a jug of water over people and it's a celebration. It's like in church, it's different to the normal society. We just do things differently. But it adds confusion, doesn't it? What's going on? What's with the water? What's with the dunking? What's with the, the, the sprinkling or the jug? What is it all about? 
Is it something that we need to do? Is it an optional extra? But why? Why do we do it and celebrate here in a church? It's very different now, isn't it, to what life was like at the start of the church 2,000 years ago. See, when the church started, as soon as people believed, they wanted, they demanded to be baptised. We have a few pictures, a number of pictures in the book of Acts. Acts, The book of Acts is Jesus has come, uh, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, start of Acts, he ascends back into heaven and Acts is the start of the church. The Holy Spirit comes and the church starts to grow and build and God calls people together. And we get all these pictures of people coming to faith and then demanding, I need to be baptised. I just want to share uh, one of the stories with you. It's from... Uh, Acts chapter 8, from an Ethiopian uh, man who came to Jerusalem to, uh, to worship God. So he believed in God, but he wasn't a Jew. And if you're not a Jew, you're called a, you're called a Gentile, yeah? you're an outsider. But he had some understanding of God and wanted to worship God. And he was coming back, um, coming back from Jerusalem and come across one of the uh, disciples' helpers named uh, Philip. So the eunuch, who was the Ethiopian man, if you want to know what eunuch means, you need to ask your parents about that one. But you can, he's a eunuch, he works for the queen of Ethiopia, we've told early on, uh, and he asked Philip, tell me please, because he's been reading this book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet wrote, that we have in our Old Testament, and he's been reading these passages, and he says, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else, because he'd been reading the passage. There's a very explicit passage there that talks about Jesus. He was, well, not Jesus. He's talking about the one, the one who was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and he was killed, not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. So the Ethiopian's like, is, it, is Isaiah talking about himself? He's talking about somebody else. What does it mean somebody's led like a lamb to the slaughter? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and, and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, all this Old Testament stuff, it's all pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the one who deals with our sin because he was without sin and he dies like a lamb going to slaughter to die, not for his sin, but for our sin, so we could have life. It's all about Jesus. Then as they travelled along the road, so he, he believes, he's like, I need... I've, believe this Jesus I want to trust in him they came to some water and the eunuch said look here is water what can stand in the way of me being baptized and he gave the order to stop the chariot and then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him immediately this guy's you know if we've heard the message of Jesus if you remember there was a particular time in your life when you heard the message of Jesus and got it and you pray to prayer to God, please forgive me, please help me to call Jesus my Lord and Saviour. I'm in, this is the moment. What was the first thing you did? I bet it wasn't rushing to the tap to find some water. I bet it wasn't, where's the closest thing for me to be baptised? But yet for the, for the Ethiopian man, this was so important. He's like, I believe, I get it, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Saviour, I need to trust in him, where's the closest water? There's some water, what's stopping me from being baptised? Do it now immediately there's something about this baptism he wants immediately uh, then as 
book of Acts just rolls on and rolls on. Chapter 10, we get a guy called Cornelius. He gets his household and his friends together. Peter, uh, uh, Paul comes and shares the message. Sorry, it was Peter. Who came and shared the message of Jesus and said, uh, once they believed, immediately, it says, they were all baptised. Cornelius and his whole household. Then we had the reading that we had back in chapter 2. Back in chapter 2, when Peter's given this uh, sermon, to the, this is at, uh, around Jerusalem, so it's all full of Jews. Uh, they're the ones, the Jews were the ones who yelled out, crucify, to kill Jesus. And now they're convicted. Oh, actually, the guy that you killed, God has shown that he was truly Lord and Saviour. He was the Son of God by raising him from the dead. So now they're convicted but man, they've messed up. They need to get right with God. So they're crying out, what do we do? He says, repent and believe, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine? 3,000 people hearing the message of Jesus, then repenting, believing. Let's do a baptism service. Let's plan a few things. And, you know, is it a week off, two weeks off? A month down the tracks, we need to do some training and get all this, where we're doing the water and how we're going to make the most. No, no, that day, immediately, baptised. They've got something, they, they know something or they understand something about this role of baptism that maybe we don't get. Because we like to be carefully planned, we like to space them out. But for them, it's, no, no, do it now. Why? What is it with baptism that makes it so urgent? Why is baptism so significant that it's got to happen now? Why was it so important for them? It doesn't really matter whether you've sitting in here this morning and have been baptised, maybe baptised as a child or baptised as an adult, but it was years ago and it's sort of... It's like, what difference did it make for you? Well, hopefully this morning we'll show a little bit more about what difference that makes. Or maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been baptised and you're wondering, well, yeah, that's me. I don't know whether it's worth it or what should I do because I don't really understand it. Being dunked with water in front of everybody doesn't sound like that much fun. But... Why should I do it? Why should I even consider it? This passage helps us out heaps with that. So what we're going to do is spend most of our time just in this little section about Peter's answer, when people go, what do we do? And there's four things that come out with this. Um, the repent, the be baptised, uh, particularly be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, uh, receiving of the Holy Spirit, and the fourth one, talking about the promise for children, for all generations, for all who are far off. They're the four things. We need to just spend a few minutes on each of them to see, to get this full picture, because baptism, it is a little bit complicated. It's not just a one-liner. There's a few dimensions to it, and this, I think, is a really good summary and guide that walks us through that. So to be baptised as a baptism of repentance uh, is often what it's called, is, is something that we need to do. Repentance is just a word that means turn around, literally, but it, it also means 
not just when we use the word you need to repent of something kind of feels like you've done something wrong and you need to apologize for that you need to repent and yes that's right you need to say i've done this like i'm my life's been going down this way i know i've upset you i know i've offended you i'm sorry but repentance is more than just saying i'm sorry it's actually turning around going i'm not going to do that again i'm not going to go down that path again i'm going to lead my life this way so when it comes to Jesus, to, to repent is to go to acknowledge I've been living my life for myself. I've been going this way, looking after myself, my own desires, my own wants and my own dreams to realise that's offensive to God to leave God out of the picture. Actually, to live a life that worships God, I need to actually repent of that, say sorry, turn around and go, I'm going to leave that behind and I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for Him, for His desires, for His glory now. So repent is that complete turnaround. Now, John the Baptist was there before Jesus and he was baptising people, what was called a baptism of repentance. So what was the go with that? He was baptising before even Jesus came. But John the Baptist had a particular role and he explained it to everybody that he was to prepare the way for the coming of the King, God's King, Jesus. So in a way, when he's preaching about you need to repent and a baptism of repentance is a way of saying actually inside we're a mess and we need cleaning up because the king's coming god's king is coming how do you want him to find you prepare yourself clean up your heart now i know what it's like to be messy if you look at my desk upstairs it does get very messy and i'm embarrassed by it and when people come that i know uh, might want to talk to me i do a quick scamper and clean up my desk so i know somebody important's coming uh, but we all experience a bit of that right you know maybe as teenagers, if we had our own bedroom, uh, we, it's easy to let it get messy with socks and undies and whatever floating around, covers the floor and the smells. I was there once. Now I'm married, I'm not allowed to be. But you know what I'm talking about. It's easy to get messy. But you know that if your parents come in, are you going to clean up your room? Ah, it's just my parents. It doesn't matter too much. They know what I'm like. They, they love me regardless. That's good. But if you're having a friend over, particularly a friend who you want to impress, are you going to clean up the room? Do you want them to come in and smell your smelly socks and your old jocks and your, all that floating around? No, you want to clean up a little bit, tidy up a little bit. This is what uh, John the Baptist was saying. The king is coming, God's king. So the son of God's leaving the throne in heaven. He's going to come into our world, into our lives, and he's not going to just check out your bedroom. He's going to check out you. He's going to look into your heart. And this preparing the way for the Lord thing is about you need to get your life together. This is an opportunity for you to get your life together. Repent. If you are leading your life down your own path and making a mess of it, here's an opportunity. Repent, apologise, turn around, go God's way. So when Jesus comes... He can see that you're genuine. Now what Peter, who's preaching this sermon, is doing is after Jesus. So Jesus has come, died, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. But Peter's saying this is even more reason to, to repent because you've seen what Jesus is like. You've seen he is truly Lord. You've seen through his miracles, through his teaching, he's being raised from the dead. He is truly Lord. How do you want him to look into your life? But we also know Jesus, he is the lamb that was slain for us. He is the one that died for our sin. He is the one that cleans up our mess. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to keep 
living your life your own way in a mess, ignoring God? Or are you going to repent knowing that Jesus will help you deal with your mess, that he'll actually die the death for our sin and clean it up? So now he's saying, you need to repent. And this idea of baptism of repentance is kind of, this is a new start because this is a new you. You're not the old you anymore. The old you was going down a path of self-centeredness, leaving God out of the picture. But to repent means I'm going down God's path now. This is a new you with a new life that's worth celebrating, that's worth proclaiming to everybody. So he's saying in this whole package, you need to take God seriously. You're God's now in turning for him this new life. Things are different now with Jesus. So repentance is important. Stop living your own way. Start walking Jesus' way. The second part of it is to be baptised in the name of Jesus. When we often think of baptism, we think of the water, right? Because is it going to be dunking? Is it going to be a jug or a sprinkle? How are we going to do this? It's the water that's the aspect. And the water is an important symbol because all throughout uh, the book of Acts we see this water being used as a symbol of baptism. But it's also uh, it's a helpful symbol like if you go to a wedding, there's other symbols used at a wedding ceremony like a wedding ring. A wedding ring is a symbol, again, a helpful symbol to go, hey, I remember the promises that I made to my wife and I remember the promises she made to me too. So the, there's a special vow you take when you, the exchanging of rings. With this ring I wed you and I promise and it goes on. The ring is a symbol. The ring is not going to make me a better husband. The ring's not going to make anybody a better wife. It's just a symbol. It's a reminder. Just the way the water. The water's not going to make you a better Christian. But it's a helpful symbol. It reminds us of what's going on, the promises we're making, the promises we're making to God and the promises he's making to us. So with this symbol, what do we do? It's baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, when they say, because we don't often use that language now, but uh, traditionally when we say we're um, in the name of so-and-so, we're associating ourselves or we've got that reputation or we are... um, We're coming in the same image of them or representing them. We're the same in a sense. We're associated with them. So if we're getting baptised in the name of Jesus, we're saying, it's not me anymore. It's the new me. I've repented from the old. It's the new me. And it's in the name of Jesus. Now, if we think this through, when God looks at us, when God the Father looks at us now, it's got to go, that Ross Wilson, I'm impressed by him because I can still see the water droplets on his head from his baptism. No, that was just a sign. When God the Father looks at me being baptised in the name of Jesus, he sees Jesus. Have a think about it. Just sit on that thought for a moment. That, that messy room that we might have had, or now is my messy heart that's full of sin and full of self-centeredness and is excluding God. I've repented from that, but now... In my struggles, I still fail and I still try, but I'm still you know, in this middle area. But because of Jesus, because I've been baptised in the name of Jesus, when God sees me, he sees that Ross Wilson and goes, yes, that's impressive because I see a heart, the heart of Jesus. I see a heart that has no sin. 
I see a heart that is holy and pure because I've taken on the image of Jesus. I've taken on his heart because I'm living for him. God sees me as new and different to how I was before because he sees me as his son, Jesus. So when God sees you, he actually has the same love for you as he does his own son, Jesus. Oh, how much love the Father God must have for the Son. The, the unity, the love, the joy, the warmth, the compassion. But if you're baptised in the name of Jesus, when God sees you, he has the same love for you sitting here as he does for Jesus in the throne of heaven. That's, that spins me out. That we can be taking on this image of Jesus because we're trusting him, we're believing him, we've been baptised in his name. Why Jesus? Why is that so important? Now, Jesus actually gave some instructions about baptism back in Matthew chapter 28. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus meets up, this is after he's died, rose again, and he meets up with his disciples, and he says to them, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me to Jesus. All these statements are about Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth. He sits on the throne in heaven, but he doesn't just rule over heaven, he rules over earth as well. Not just now, but for all time. All authority Jesus has. Therefore, go and make disciples, make more people to be baptised in my name, more people trusting in him. But go and make disciples of all nations, but baptizing them, and he says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is what we do, because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. Peter's just narrowing down on the Jesus bit because it's the Jesus Lord bit is the one we struggle with the most. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, it's going back to Jesus. Jesus, how do you know God? How do you know what pleases God? Look at what Jesus did and what Jesus said, what Jesus commanded. It's through Jesus we have that. And surely I am with you, Jesus says. I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's all about Jesus. We're not denying God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, the three parts being one. But it's through Jesus we have access to the Father. Through Jesus we uh, get poured out the Holy Spirit on, which we'll talk about in a moment. It's through Jesus is the centre. Without Jesus... Without any of it, it all falls together. But the emphasis Peter's going, you need to be baptised in the name of Jesus. Because he's the one that's going to deal with your sin. He's the one that's going to make you new. The old you has gone, but it's in the name of Jesus. You have the new you and new life. And the flow on from that is, Peter says, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. It's the third part. The Holy Spirit, we need to realise, is God as well. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's no less God than Jesus is God, but they function differently. The Holy Spirit's been around since the start of creation, forever. The Holy Spirit, he didn't just turn up when Jesus turned up. But in the Old Testament, you will notice, so we often use Old Testament, New Testament, but the Old so some of your Bibles will have Old Covenant and New Covenant because things changed at the time of Jesus. The Old Covenant or Old Testament, there is this, uh, this thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit turns up at particular events or with particular people. It comes and goes a bit. 
But there's also a promise that God will, uh, at the right time, God will send his spirit and pour his spirit out, like pouring the jug, pour his spirit out on people and God will remain on his people. That he will dwell, he will live with his people through his Holy Spirit. That's after Jesus, the new covenant. So when Jesus uh, turns up, so at the start of Acts, this is a bit of a theme in Acts, the start of Acts chapter 1, Jesus, just before he ascends to heaven, says, stay here in Jerusalem because I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. Now's the time. Up till then, generations and generations, hundreds of years, the, the spirit's come and gone. It's been there, but... He's come and gone a bit. But now's the time. God's going to pour out his spirit on you guys. Wait at Jerusalem. Hit chapter 2. And those disciples who were gathered, meeting there at Jerusalem, the spirit got poured out on them. And this is the result. Peter's sermon is the result of the work of the spirit. He's now out boldly preaching to people, telling people about Jesus. And now Peter's inviting these listeners, the Jews, hey, you too can have the Holy Spirit poured out on you too. This is a massive change in the history of humanity, the way God relates to humanity. But now is the time. The Holy Spirit is coming upon you, he's saying. This is major, a major change in history, but the major change in how we function. So what does it look like to have the Spirit? Because Peter's saying this is a big moment in history, but it's also a big moment in your life. How do we know? Because often we're attracted to the, the big wow experience or the big attention-grabbing moments. You know, in, in the book of Acts, people are getting healed, people are speaking in tongues, people are doing all sorts of amazing things. We're going, oh, if, is that the spirit? Is that the norm? Is that what I should be expecting? Because if that's not my experience, maybe I haven't got the Holy Spirit. But actually, those moments, they're highlighted in the book of Acts that they're so big and amazing because they're not the norm. They are the extraordinary you know, in the book of Acts, if you go through people who are believing and uh, get the Holy Spirit and are baptised, less people speak in tongues than don't speak in tongues, if we think tongues is the sign of the Holy Spirit. But that's actually more people not speaking in tongues than are. So what is the Holy Spirit then? Well, Jesus explained it, we won't pull up all the passages, but Jesus explained it back in John 16, if you want to read it at another time, Explaining the Holy Spirit's job is to point to Jesus. It's the spirit of truth. He'll point to the truth, that is Jesus King, Jesus Messiah. Actually, you won't recognise Jesus unless you've got the spirit to open your eyes. So actually, sometimes, the way Peter explains it here, it reads like, if you repent, it's like a checklist, repent, be baptised into the name of Jesus, then I'll receive the Holy Spirit. So if we come up here, be baptised, when I come out of the water, all of a sudden I'll have this amazing experience because now the Holy Spirit's on me. doesn't work like that. And I don't think that's Peter's intention. It's actually the Holy Spirit's work allows you to see why you need to repent, why you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Holy Spirit's already been at work in your heart to get you even to that point. But we often take for granted what it's like to have the Holy Spirit because we've grown up in, in a time where God pours out His Spirit in a way that He does. But we need to know when the Spirit is in us, when God is in us, this is not just a new moment in human history, but it's a new moment for me in my life. You are a new person. You have a new life. 
because God has given you his spirit to see him, to relate to him, to understand him. It's God in you. So that's that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What about this last one, this promise? This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off and from all whom the the Lord our God will call. Just this last bit. What is that about? Because it just seems like an invitation, like a come forward. Now, in the Old Testament, we need to realise the exclusive nature of God's relationship with his people. So after Adam and Eve sort of blew up things in the garden and the world went crazy, Noah, a flood to try and deal with sin. But then God called out Abraham and made Abraham some promises that he'll make him to a people, a place and a blessing of all nations. So you'll be, you'll be a great nation, you'll have your own place and you'll be a blessing to all nations. So all throughout the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, we're thinking through what this looks like and we see the nation of Israel and the Jews they're strictly God's people that's why they could have the temple and shut everybody else out because they're the real people of God is dealing with the people but then there's this last bit of the promise well how's how's that going to be a blessing to all nations but then we think of the great commission the verse we had up earlier where Jesus says go out uh, to all nations baptizing them this new covenant through Jesus, the doors are thrown open. Now it's this promise is for everyone, for your children, for all nations, people who are far off, can come into the family of God. It's easy just to hear that and let it wash over us as a bit of historical information, but you need to realise how significant that was for the people of that day. Because for us now, we think, you know, we can come and go into a church... Do, do I feel like I want to be the people of God? I need to hook up with the church. But for them, you didn't have a choice. If you were a Jew, you were allowed in. Now, if you're a Jew, you had to look like a Jew, you had to speak a bit of Hebrew, and if you're a male, you had to be circumcised. And yes, they did check sometimes if there was any question. Would we let you in or not? Are you a real Jew? And they would measure that strictly, as in, they'll, yeah, you know what I mean. They um, take it strictly. They would not let a Gentile in. And how would you feel if you were the Ethiopian, the man we started off with at the start? He didn't look like a Jew. He's probably a very dark skinned, very black, very tall and thin man going to Jerusalem where they're all dressed up, they're all formal because they're all very religious looking. He'd go to the temple to try and get into because he wants to worship God, right? No, mate, sorry, you're not welcome here. You are definitely not a Jew. He can't go in to even the courtyard around the temple. He's locked. He's an outsider, and that was their rules. That was, you needed to know where you're with God. There's insiders and outsiders. God was only dealing with Jeru- the Jews in Jerusalem, the, the Israel, and everybody else were Gentiles, outsiders. It was very explicit, very in your face. We would say today, very offensive because it's so exclusive to get in. How would you feel like if you were him? But now, you've heard about Jesus. You've heard about how Jesus is the Lamb of God, took, deals with our sins. He's like, yeah, I need my sins dealt with. Yep, that's what Jesus has done for me. So he uh, repents from his sin and wants to follow Jesus. Now he's looking for water. 
Why is the water so important? Because the water baptism is the acknowledgement. I'm no longer my old self. I've repented from my old self. It's the new self now with a new life following Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God sees me not as an outsider anymore, but as family, as a child of God. Can you imagine that Ethiopian man? He's a high official, works for the queen, respected in his own country, but with the people of God, he's not allowed in. But yet, now through Jesus, he's one of the family. Baptise me. There's some water. Is there any reason why you can't baptise? Do it now. Because I want to be part of the God's family. That was so important. So important for him to do that. But then it goes on, story after story, of the examples of what it feels like to be an outsider. There's a lady, uh, Lydia, we meet her in uh, Acts chapter 16. This is worth spending looking at a few verses because she hears the gospel. Paul goes on, explains the gospel. Uh, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptised. So she obviously heard the message. She's believed and immediately baptised. So let's do it now. I believe. I've repented. Jesus is my Lord and King. Be baptised. And then, this is Paul writing, she invited us to her home. She said to them, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Sounds like an interesting detail. Why would she have to persuade them to come in for, come in for dinner with me? Because she was a Gentile. Paul and the others were good Jews. Jews never mixed with Gentiles. It's like the temple Gentiles don't let them in. If you're a good Jew, you don't mix with Gentiles. You don't go into their house. You never share a meal with a Gentile. Like, that's just offensive to God if we do that. But now through Jesus, the doors are open. Believe in Jesus. Be baptised. You're one of the family. So now this brings out this tension. She's going, well, I was a Gentile. You told me about Jesus. Now I believe. I'm even baptised. I'm one of the family now. Come to my house and share a meal. And you can hear in the tone, like, we were hesitant. We had to be persuaded. But she said, well, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, meaning if you consider me a part of the family, why wouldn't you come to my house? Why wouldn't you come and share a meal? This is a unit. Once they were separated, now they're part of the family. They're friends. There's another story in the same chapter of a Roman soldier, uh, the jailer, so... Uh, Paul and Silas have been thrown in jail for talking about Jesus. Uh, An angel came, there's an earthquake, soldier, well, the, the jail falls apart, um, but Paul and Silas, instead of running away, they stay there. The jailer comes out and says, well, why have you run away? What's going on? And they preach the message of Jesus. This is where we pick up the story. Uh, Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And that hour at night, the jailer took them in, washed their wounds. Then immediately, immediately, he and all his households were baptised. Sounds like it's very late at night when all this is happening. The jailer brought them into his house and set up a meal before them. Hang on a minute. Remember what we just said? Jews don't mix with Gentiles. This is a Roman soldier. The day before this happened... He was ruling them to be beaten and flogged severely. He was their enemy the day before. But now he's Jesus, baptised. Now the jailer 
invites him into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. See the unity. One day they're enemies. Jesus comes along, they repent, the Holy Spirit's come, and he's like, we're brothers and sisters now. We're sharing a meal. You're sitting in my house. I'm serving you. I'm cleaning up your wounds now. All this is happening. The significance of this moment where baptism brings people together, this oneness, this unity, it's just amazing. And I think it's something that's very, very easy for us to take for granted. Because for us, we think we can believe in Jesus, have him as our Lord and Saviour, and just go, well, do I want to be a part of a church or not? Church is like an optional extra. How do I know if I'm the people of God? Well, maybe I should hook up to a church here or there. But, you know, I don't really belong. I'll just rock up on Sundays and, and leave again. That's what church is. But it raises the question, is church an event for you, like a Sunday morning, or is church a community? Because the way the Bible talks about it, we are a community. This is what church is. This is what it means to belong, that we're together. We're brothers and sisters. We love each other. We care for each other. This is very different from anything else you'll experience in the world. You've got something that no one else in... Well, very few people in our community have what you've got in Jesus, the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, being baptised into his family. Very easy for us to take it for granted, particularly if you've grown up in church. You know, unless it's exciting, unless it's got something that I'm really looking for, I might just... It's easy to sleep in or it's easy to fill my weekend up with something else. It's easy to make it an optional extra. But the way this talks about the church, it's like, man, you don't want to be left out of this. You don't want to miss out. This is for you. You've been baptised into the family of God. This is major. A new life, a new person, a new you with a new family, new people. I just want to wrap up giving an explanation and a little bit of advice. Because there's a couple of questions that can come out of this when we talk about baptism. There's a baptism of repentance that, and this is, I've tried to graph or put in a, in a diagram how different churches have different emphasis. So a baptism of repentance is where, you know, a Baptist church kind of mostly lies. There's baptism of the Holy Spirit. You might see Pentecostal churches lying on that emphasis. Baptism in the name of Jesus. That's kind of more the, the Presbyterian, we work on, you know, the splash of the water is important uh, and it's all about salvation through Jesus is important. But you can see there, there are three different aspects that we've talked about. They're all biblical, they're all there. And when all three of them come together, we get this, we're also baptised into God's family. You can't be baptised into this family without repentance towards God, work of the Holy Spirit, uh, baptized, being baptised as the symbol. That sort of pulls it all together. You're a part of something here when these things happen. That's sort of, so tight in, in the circle. It needs all those things, is what Paul's talking about. But it's when we push out to our different areas, we start to fight about things like baptism. Let me give you an example, and I'll pick on the Presbyterians first. To be baptised into the name of Jesus. If we make it all about that, oh no, it's about the water. If we baptise you in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you've got salvation. What I mean is, uh, we were a part of a church at one time, not this church, but much younger. We were part of a church that just baptised everybody. Anybody they saw walking on the street, they pretty much invited them in to be baptised. That's what it felt like anyway. 
I'm like, what's going on? We never see these people at church, but yet we're baptizing them. We found out there was a couple of elders had the idea that um, if you weren't baptized, you weren't going to heaven, that it's a salvation issue. You were going to hell if you weren't baptized. And they didn't want to be responsible for sending people to hell. So let's baptize everybody uh, and let's do it. So that's an example of an extreme case. If you think it's all about the water to be uh, uh, being baptized in Father, Son, Spirit, that that gets you into heaven, that gets you into trouble because you've moved away from the biblical model. What about baptism of the Holy Spirit? There's an emphasis on, well, you're not really baptized unless you've got a sign of the Holy Spirit, which is usually speaking in tongues. And if you push that way too far, that you start running lessons. So one of my friends went to a, a training workshop on how to speak in tongues, where they sat down and go, just make noises. My friend said, well, it just sounds like we're trying to be like babies, goo-goo-garring. I said, yeah, that's it. Just do it more and more and practice it and you got it. It's like, well, that's not really the baptism or the work of the Holy Spirit that I'm seeing in the Bible. The Holy Spirit can help people speak in tongues, but it's not the thing. But if you push it too far, you actually go away from the biblical model. Baptism of repentance. Uh, I know Baptist churches who think it's all about adult baptism. It must be full immersion, but it must be adult, and it must be after 10 weeks of um, a study where you learn about doctrine and rules, uh, about how to be a good Christian, pretty much. And if you push that way, it's all about ticking the boxes. Have I done my 10-week course? Have I done my right confession? Have I done the full immersion? Make sure you get completely under... It's all about the rules then, and you, again, move away from the God's family and the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. If you push any of these ideas too far, you'll get into trouble. That's not what we want to be, it's our side. We want to hold these things together and that helps us to decide what we're going to fight about and what we're not going to fight about. When we will fight about, is it just about the, the full immersion and 10-week course, uh, that that's the way to be the real deal. We will fight about you must speak in tongues. We will fight about if somebody wants to suggest you must be baptised to be saved. That's not biblical. But when we come together, this baptism in God's family, and we hold those three things together, it gives us a lot of freedom to say, we believe in baptising infants, our babies, because we see a baptising household, this promise is for you and for your children. It's, there's, a, there's a covenant thing here with our families. We believe in baptising kids is all right. But if you don't want to do that, that's okay too. You can still be a part of Southside. We're not going to fight about that one. So there's things there that we have firm on, but other things that we go, we're pretty easy on. Full immersion, sprinkling, jug, that's in the open hand. We're not going to fight about that one. That's just a bit of, a quick little bit of explanation on, uh, and talk about that with me more if you want. But just to wrap up with a bit of advice, so I do want to encourage you that we want to make a big deal about baptism. We baptise people in this church because you are getting baptised into the church of Jesus Christ. That's one of the, the promises. We're getting baptised into the church of Jesus Christ. We don't go home and baptise in pools. You can do that, but if you're getting baptised into this church, don't you want to be doing it in front of this church? So we say, yeah, let's do it here and share the moment together. We want to uh, make sure that you are doing a public confession that you have repented from the old self because we want to celebrate. This is the new you with a new life and a new family. So we're going to do it together here and we're going to celebrate that fact. And if that is you saying, yeah, I want to do this, I want to make this statement in front of my friends here at church, 
But I also want to make my statement that I am this new person to my friends who aren't in this church, whether they go to other churches or not even a Christian. Invite them along. If we do baptisms and you're given the opportunity to share your story, invite your friends along. Saves you having... 20 different conversations at home with your friends going, how am I going to tell them I've become a Christian? Invite them all here. Do it in one hit. I'm a Christian now. I have new life in Jesus. We want to do that and celebrate that fact. And we've got uh, Sunday coming up before Easter. We'll do another one uh, for kids after Easter as well. But it's an opportunity to really celebrate that fact. Elders have talked about the dilemma we've got ourselves in as a Presbyterian church where we baptise infants and we baptise adults because they can confess their faith. Uh, We want them to show, demonstrate that as as adults. But what do we do with the age in the middle? Because that's really awkward for us that, you know, if you're a 12-year-old, you're not really an adult, but you're not an infant either. And we've sort of neglected that. That is not biblical either. Whole households were baptised. If we believe everything we've just been talking about, We need to work out what is a genuine sign of repentance for a 12-year-old? What's an age-related faith look like? So, I want to encourage you, as an adult, as uh, a child, anything like that, to have those discussions with your family, uh, with myself or one of the elders, going, what does this mean? Because I want to belong. I want to show that I believe in Jesus and I'm a part of this community. Uh, We want to have that conversation and we want to celebrate that on the lead up to Easter. There could be lots of questions. Come and talk to me or one of the elders. Um, but I hope that's been helpful. And just a reminder, when we do get to that Sunday, we're going to make a big deal about it and celebrate that fact. Let's pray. Dear Father God, just thank you. Thank you that we're no longer outsiders, but through Jesus, we're welcomed in. We're given a new heart, new life, that you dwell in us with your spirit. Lord, We confess that sometimes we take this for granted. Sometimes we just cruise along in life and we never have these milestones where we really celebrate the decisions we've made. We never celebrate a new life we have in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that as we think about baptism, whether it's for, for us or our families, for us as a church, Lord, that we really celebrate that you've brought someone from death to life. You've brought them from outsiders to insiders and they truly have eternal life in Jesus. So Lord, we commit our our church to you here, not just for us, but Lord, as we said before, so many in in our community don't know you. They don't have what we've got. So Lord, help us to love our community, reach our community, share the message of Jesus and the power that he has. In Jesus' name, amen.